Well, we've been involved, I suppose, on both sides of my family, on my mother's side and my father's side, from when the boat was established here in 1874. Uh, so it's coming up, it'll be our 150th anniversary here, uh, the same year as the 200th uh, for that and the lie. So it's a, it's a very special year for us here at Long Hope as well. Kevin Kirkpatrick, former coxswain at Longhope Lifeboat Station. It's a big thing in a small community especially. It's uh, an island of 400 people and uh, it, it is a hub of the community really and uh, it's something that we were interested in from an early age. We used to go down and watch the boat being launched. We were on a slipway station up until 1999, before we got a dedicated berth here at Longhope Pier. So yeah, we were uh, we were always around. The minute we heard the maroons going off, we would uh, be keeping a listening watch and uh, watching the crew going out to the boat. I first volunteered when I was in my early 20s. Um, I left the island for some time, like a lot of young people do once they leave the school, and uh, as soon as I returned to the island in my early 20s, um, I uh, I joined the crew as a volunteer, uh, which was utmost in my priority as soon as I moved back home. Yeah, the majority of the, the young people do come along and... Uh, willingly willingly join up and help in some shape or form whether it be ashore or on the boat so it's uh, very encouraging to think that uh, you get the younger generation coming along my grandfather or my, my grandmother's Grandfather was the first coxswain here back in 1874. And uh, from then on, uh, I had uh, family that were in the crew, acting as in various positions in the crew, from bowmen to crewmen to navigators to coxswains. Um, and uh, latterly, myself uh, as volunteer crew and for a time as assistant mechanic before becoming one of the coxswains here and going on to be the full-time coxswain latterly. It's very much a labour of love for us and uh, there's no better thing than being able to help somebody out and uh, you know we enjoy going to sea so it's a, it's a privilege and an honour to be able to serve with Alan and I really and be part of this uh, big family. It's, it's very special. Uh, once you get involved, uh, you you really you're here until the last. Really, you, you don't really want to ever give it up. Really. The Penland Firth uh, is a stretch of water, of course, between the north of Scotland and uh, us here on the island of Hoy. And, uh, of course, you've got the whole of the Atlantic out to the west and, uh, of course, the North Sea to the east. So during the flood tide, which 
of course, goes clockwise around the UK, then you've got the whole of the Atlantic trying to funnel through this narrow gap, uh, the Bentland Firth, which is just under seven miles and the narrowest point between Scotland and us. So when you've got that amount of water and tide trying to go through a funneled area like this, this is what creates uh, the huge tidal overfalls. Um, and likewise, when you've got six hours of ebb tide and all of the North Sea trying to flood into the Atlantic, again, uh, when you've got an ebb tide running and uh, a westerly wind, for example, then this can cause uh, very confused seas in this uh, area of the Pentland Firth. Oh, we've had a few shouts. We're, uh, we're not a particular busy station, but uh, I suppose it's more commercial traffic that we deal with rather than leisure traffic. Uh, we find that uh, perhaps the less experienced yachts People don't actually uh, venture across the Pentland Firth. It's only the more experienced guys that comes over. And really, uh, you know, uh, with the best will in the world, you occasionally get the odd yacht in trouble. But uh, as I say, it's more commercial traffic. So over the years, we've had uh, we've had some shouts to whether it be fishing vessels or uh, cargo vessels or tankers. Or, all types of commercial vessels, really, and uh, yeah, some have been interesting, I suppose. Um, we've been involved. Uh, we were involved in one with the when the Tamar first came here, um, and uh, that was to a vessel um, that uh, had left uh, Scapa Flow and uh, was heading out into the Pentland Firth and. Uh, when the leaves cap a flow, they have to keep their anchor at the ready and they can only stow it once they get into the open waters of the Pentland Firth. So they, um, in doing this, uh, the captain had to put uh, three men up for it in the tanker and um, there was a huge wave Wave came over the top of the tanker and uh, anyway, it uh, washed the three men down the deck of the tanker and... Uh, so we got involved with that, and we had a doctor with us, and uh, yeah, we uh, we landed up. We couldn't get close enough to the tanker because of the conditions. It would have been somewhere between sort of 12 and 15 metre seas on at the time. So the helicopter came along, and we found a sheltered spot, and uh, using the high line of the helicopter, got the doctor from the lifeboat onto the helicopter and down onto the tanker, and. Uh, as a result of that, uh, she saved uh, she saved the one guy's life. After the disaster in '69, um, we were uh, there was obviously a lot of young children left behind and uh, widows, of course. But uh, the community was very good, a small community. Everybody rallied around and helped one another as they do. And uh, I think uh, the widows uh, and us children got a huge support from that and continue to get a huge support from it. And, uh, but at the same time, um, 
it, it devastated the island really because uh, it was probably quite a thriving, or was a very thriving fishing community, and most of the the guys that were lost on the lifeboat all went to the fishing and did other jobs as island people do, and so it left a huge gap in a small community, and uh, I think it was felt for a long, long time after, and uh, and I think I don't think I'd be wrong in saying that it's still felt to this day. Uh, certainly by us families, but uh, in the wider community as well. And time does move on, and uh, you know, time does move on. But yeah, they're gone, but they're not forgotten. But uh, yeah, I think they would be at the same time happy to see us moving on and progressing, and and continuing, continuing to do what they did. It was a great sense of pride to become the coxswain here at Long Hope and not only sense of pride but a, an honour and a privilege uh, to be the, I think, the ninth coxswain here and uh, well now we're up to number 10 but uh, there hasn't been that many coxswains in the 150 years of course uh, or the lifeboat being here at Long Hope so yeah it's a huge privilege and uh, as it was to be a crew member as well and uh, you know I'm only one of a team but uh, I've enjoyed doing it uh, every minute of that 20 years I was the coxswain and uh, I, it's not something I really wanted to end but uh, anyway it's time for somebody else to have a shot I think. <laughs> I'm still a volunteer crew here yet. Uh, both my kids have been on the boat. Uh, Jack has since moved on to the Hartley mainland and uh, Stella is still on the crew here, albeit she's uh, away doing further education at the moment, but when she's home she's available. Uh, like a lot of young people on the islands here, they go away for their education and hopefully they move back home again someday like all, all the rest of us did. Uh, but uh, yes, I suppose uh, they grew up uh, uh, surrounded with lifeboats and lifeboat materials, so I always hoped and quietly hoped that they would uh, join and uh, I felt very proud when they did. Yeah. That and life's been a, a, the biggest part of my life and uh, I feel privileged to have been involved with it and uh, part of that big family and uh, also I've met so many lovely people throughout you know, my whole career, not that I ever looked at, I shouldn't say career because I don't, it's not a job really, it's it's very much a way of life for us here and, uh, and for the want of a better word, a labour of love and uh, I feel very honoured to have served with Arnoldi and uh, I would like to serve for a, a long time yet. Uh, Hello, this is Louise Minchin. You've been listening to the RNLI's 200 Voices collection. To hear more remarkable stories, head to rnli.org slash 200 voices or subscribe to RNLI wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening.
200 Voices is an adventurous audio limited production for the RNLI.